Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> it really is good to see you. You made it, and we couldn't be any happier to have you here this morning. For those who are here for the first time or the first time in a long time, uh, my name is Donald, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Maybe you're here this weekend because you're visiting some family or friends for the weekend. Uh, maybe business has brought you in to Sarnia for the weekend, or maybe from the community, uh, looking for a place to call home. Or maybe you're just here checking out things to see if this God stuff has any reality. For whatever reason you may be here, we want you to know there's always a place for you here. I also want to give a shout out to those who are watching online this morning. Uh, it's good to have you here. You know, our online audience continues to grow. I noticed that uh, Janelle from Japan was actually tuning in last week. Who would know, right? So it's been pretty exciting. And for our regular church family, uh, welcome back. We're so glad that you're here. There's always something very exciting when the family uh, get together. Well, today we're wrapping up our series called Worst Advice Ever. We have been on this journey for seven weeks trying to discover the difference between good advice and bad advice. And one thing is for sure, there is plenty of advice being passed around. Uh, some advice is solicited. Some advice is even welcomed. Some advice, we grit our teeth when it's given to us. Some advice gets, us, gets under our skin and yet we smile, but we have something we really want to say. Uh, there's good advice and there's bad advice. And some of you have shared the, some of the good advice that you have received over the years and it's really, it's, it's like saved your life. And for others who have received some bad advice and followed through on it, it's caused a little bit of inconvenience. For some, it's caused some hurt. And for others, it has been cast, uh, catastrophic. Uh, so it, wouldn't it be great if we could just figure out what is the good advice and what is the bad advice? And I want to say for the very last time, thank you so much for those who participated and filled out these cards because really you help shape uh, this series that we have been uh, traveling together with. Uh, we took all those contributions, we boiled it down to three main subjects. Worst advice about finances, relationships, and spiritual things. And we've already dealt with the finances the first two weeks, relationships the next three weeks, and now here we are dealing with some of the spiritual things that you've asked questions about. By the way, if you've missed any of, our, any of the message during the uh, series, you can always go to our website and uh, find the one that you missed. Now this morning we're going to deal with a subject of, um, well, when you feel like God has disappointed you, when you feel like God is nowhere to be found, when you feel like God has let you down, based on your comments on your cards, um, many of you said, that's what I was told, hey, when I decide to follow Jesus, you can be guaranteed God will disappoint you. Um, that God will let you down. In fact, some have said, you know, when bad things happen to you, it's because God is getting even with you. Like, God is some old grumpy man just waiting for a payback. I just want to tell you that that's not the God of the Bible. The Bible talks about a God who is filled 
with grace and mercy. In fact, he has abundance of grace and mercy. He overflows with grace and mercy. Now, I want to say right off the bat, if you feel or you sense that God has let you down and that he is nowhere to be found, let me tell you, you are not alone. You are not alone. That is not an uncommon feeling. All you have to do is open your Bible, read through the pages. There's lots of men and women of the Bible who doubted God and wondered where was God when they needed him most. I think of the psalmist when he wrote in Psalm 44, 23, 24. He says, awake, O Lord. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Like, get up, he says. Don't reject us forever. He goes on to say, why do you hide your face from us? Why Have, have you forgotten our, our misery, our oppression? That's the psalmist writing these words. Sounds like he wondered what God was up to and why he seemed as though he was nowhere to be found. Disappointments. You know, disappointments occur when the actual experience of something falls far short of what we anticipated. Let me say that again. Disappointments occur when the actual experience of something falls far short of what we anticipated. Like, you were expecting God to show up and do something, and and he didn't. You just knew if God would would show up, things would be different, and, 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 and he didn't. And so then disappointment arises. And disappointment with God does not only come in dramatic circumstances, it oftentimes just happens in the mundane things of life. You know, we get up in the morning and we can't find our keys. We're like, Lord, help me find my keys. I'm going to be late for work. You can't find them. You get out to the car and you try to start the car and it doesn't start. Like, Lord, of all days is a Thursday. I have to have the car to work. And you think to yourself, well, man, if you won't even answer these small little prayers, how can I trust them with the big ones? And oftentimes it's, it's the petty little disappointments that over time begin to accumulate and it undermines our faith. And all of a sudden, doubt begins to arise. I start wondering, does God really even care about the every details of my life? And I'm tempted to pray less often because I've already thought in advance, what matter does it make if I pray? My emotions and my faith waver. And then doubt begins to seep in. And I'm even less prepared to handle major crises in my life. Well, that story is repeated over and over and over again. As I said uh, before, the prophets of old (laughs) dealt with disappointments with God. People like you and me, average people, ordinary people, ordinary Christians, first comes that disappointment that God didn't show up. And then seeds of doubt. And then sometimes you feel betrayed and anger. And we begin to ask, is God even trustworthy? Like, can I really stake my life on him? I have this strong belief, a strong conviction that it really matters what you think about God. Like, it really, really matters what you believe about God as much as anything in life. Now, all of us have this mix of circumstantial faith. The problem with circumstantial faith, it's very fragile, 
circumstantial faith will always let you down because it cannot stand up against the pressures of this life. I mean, when life is good and prayers are being answered and you have a great job and a great marriage and fantastic kids, it's easy to stand up and show God is good all the time and all the time God is good. But what happens when life isn't so good? What happens when things start going bad? Then what? And what about when things get really, really bad? We begin to think, I'm not even sure there is a God. That is faith that is built on circumstances. And circumstantial faith will always let you down. Circumstantial faith, listen to this, circumstantial faith is our ability to see God. It's our ability to experience God. It's our ability to understand God. And when we can't, then we begin to measure God up. And I want to say again, circumstantial faith is fragile. It will crumble underneath the pressures of life. Now this morning, I want to look at a passage of Scripture that when you begin to read it, you are led to believe that God doesn't care. In fact, you read it and you go, where is God and all that is happening? I mean, is Jesus just too busy to be able to help? I mean, he could have helped, but in this passage, it seems like he didn't. And of all the people in the world, you would think that Jesus would make a beeline to these people. I mean, these are close friends of his. And you read this passage and you, you can't help but be confused at what Jesus is doing, or in reality, what he's not doing. So if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, or some kind of electronic device that you can follow along, would you turn with me to John chapter 11? John chapter 11. I think that we all can relate to this story. You know why? Because all of us, I've had times in our life that we were expecting God to show up and do something, and he doesn't. You know, when you're at your rope's end, and it seems God is nowhere to be found, when your circumstances bring you to the point of devastation, and God seems to be on holidays, and you throw your arms up in the air and you wonder, God, where are you in all of this? Have you ever expected Jesus to show up, and he didn't. I mean, you can understand if God doesn't show up for somebody who doesn't care for him. I mean, you can understand if God doesn't show up for somebody maybe who's an agnostic or an atheist, but surely he's going to show up for people and his children who love him. I mean, that's what makes sense. Well, in this story, this family is so desperate for Jesus to do something to show up and he doesn't in fact they asked him to show up and he didn't and that's why I think so many of us can relate to this story expecting God to show up in some situation of our life and it seems as though he doesn't God, I thought you loved me. I, I, I thought you loved your children. I, I, I read in the Bible that you love your children, that you, pr you protect your children. We're told that we're supposed to run to you in times of need. And I went running to you, and you were nowhere to be found. 
What's up with that? God, I don't ask for much. I'm not like the Johnsons who live next door. They're always asking something from you. I'm not like them. But the Browns down the street, they asked if you would heal their daughter, and you did. So why won't you do anything for me? Why won't you show up for me? Now, some of you are here this morning, and, and you're married, and you're in desperate need that God would show up and do something in your marriage. You feel like you're in a loveless relationship, and you've asked God to show up and begin something new between the two of you. And it seems like it's getting worse. You know, some of you are here, you're, you're single, and, and you pray that God would bring a mate for you, and, and nothing's happening. Your friends are all getting married, they're starting their families, having children, and, and nothing is happening. What about you parents, you know, who, are ra- who have raised your children? You, you, you've tried your best to instill into them biblical principles. You, you brought them to church. You, you kind of made sure that uh, they had the right friends. They were in youth group in junior high and high school, and they moved out of your home, and now they've drifted away from all the things that you've taught them. And it's causing you heartache and, and sleepless nights. And God hasn't shown up even though you've asked him, God, do something with my son or my daughter. I think we all can, I think we all can relate to that emotion. I, I thought you would do something, God, and you didn't. So before we begin to read this scripture, let's just pray. Lord, we ask that you would breathe on your word this morning. Make these moments so riveting for us. Help us to really hear from you, from your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you grew up in church, you probably have heard this story before. But I want to tell you, this is more than just a Sunday school story. This is more than just one of those stories you use the flannel graph to put all the pictures up to explain it. So erase any of those images that you may have in your head as we look at this story this morning. John chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. The story already begins on a bad note. Somebody is sick. It says, he was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. I'm just pause for one second. They just, they knew if word could get to Jesus, he would do something. If we can just get word to Jesus, he'll fix the problem if he just shows up. So let's get word to him. Let's let him know we're in need, and he'll come to our rescue. He'll fix what is wrong. Well, let's continue reading. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. When you read this, that, that Jesus says, no, there's actually a bigger story happening right now. Bigger than what you and I can say. And, and he says something, actually it's kind of strange because he says, this sickness will not lead to death, but it actually does. Like, Jesus, you said he wouldn't die, but he actually does. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the story. I am sure that that probably was good news to the person who came to Jesus and said, you know, there's, a, there's someone who is sick, is Lazarus, we need you. And he says, don't worry about it. He says, this sickness will not lead to death. Well, then I'm sure for the messenger, we go, oh, okay, that's good news. I'll go back. Even though he looks like he's going to die, that's good news because he's not going to die because Jesus said that. And Jesus says, all of this is happening for God's glory. Now, maybe, you, maybe you've never heard that before. But Jesus says, all that is happening, this bigger picture, all that is happening by this, behind the scenes is so that God is glorified and his son Jesus, who stepped into humanity to rescue us from our sins. Jesus says, something far bigger is going on than what you can see. It may be, it may be, that what you're going through right now is for the glory of God. And you may say, Calder, what, what are you, crazy? <laughs> what I'm going through hurts. It's painful. Yes, I, I don't doubt you when you say that. What I'm saying is there is a bigger picture that is happening. Now notice it says in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Just in case you were doubting uh, anything, he, he brings that up and he reminds us, I love these people. Like, I love these people. So you can only imagine how confusing it would be for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus that Jesus doesn't come. I mean, these are good people. These are the people that follow God. They want to honor God with their lives. They're followers of Christ. Jesus has stayed at their home many times as he's passing through. Mary is the one uh, who took that expensive perfume. Some have suggested it was worth a year's wage. The disciples were indignant when she did that, but we're still talking about her actions 2,000 years later. This is this family that we're talking about. They loved Jesus, and Jesus Love them. See, this isn't Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. This is not like the Pharisees who have a bullseye painted on Jesus' back, just ready to pounce on him so they can get rid of him. No, these three are, are like his family. In fact, when word is sent to Jesus, the name Lazarus is not even used. It just says, the one that you love. And he immediately knows what's happening. So you, can you see why this is so confusing? That you have begged and cried and asked for Jesus to show up and he doesn't. 
he stays a little bit longer in the town. Listen, some of you are here this morning, and to be honest, you're, you're, you're struggling to stay afloat financially. And you're just, you're, you're working hard, and, and then you're the one that gets laid off. Like, you're, you're not like John who always shows up 20 minutes late for work and cuts out early. Like, you're there early, you stay late till the job is done, and yet you're the one that's let go. And God didn't do anything about it. He didn't show up. And so no wonder people get confused as to what God is doing. You know, maybe you're a teenager here today. And you've prayed to God, God, do something for my mom and dad. They always, they're just always fighting. Would you step in and do something for them? And the truth is, your dad moves out and doesn't seem as interested in you as he used to be. Why didn't God show up when he asked? In verse 6, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Because he loved him so much, he stayed two more days. Okay, I'm a little lost, a little confused. What's going on here? You're telling me Jesus loved Lazarus so much that he didn't show up to help him. Am I missing something? I mean, you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Jesus is always healing people. Perfect strangers he shows up and heals. People he's never met before he's healing. And he can't show up for this family when the situation is so urgent. There's no time to fool around here. They desperately need him. Well, let's pick up the story in verse 11. After Jesus said this, he went on to tell him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to go there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Like, I... I'm picturing being in the room there with Jesus and the disciples. And the disciples are listening to Jesus, and they would have to say, Jesus, you make no sense. When he was sick, you said, we're going to stick around here. Now that he's sleeping, you say, let's go wake him up. Everyone knows that when you're sick, you get better when you get lots of rest. Why would you go and wake him up now? He's sleeping. He's getting better. Jesus, you just don't make sense sometimes. And then it goes on, he says, in verse 14, he says, So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, even there, that's confusing because just a few minutes earlier, he says, Lazarus won't die. The sickness he has will not lead to death. And now, Jesus says, oh, Lazarus is dead. I know you think I was, I was talking about him sleeping, but no, he's actually dead. And I'm like, I think the disciples are like, what? Huh? Jesus, what are you talking about? And Jesus said, well, let me just spell it out for you. Lazarus has died. Imagine being one of the disciples. Jesus, you make no sense. You just said a few minutes ago he wouldn't die. And now he's dead. Let's continue reading verse 14. So, so, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad. 
what? For your sake I am glad? Is Jesus supposed to say things like that? I am glad that he is dead. I don't know to you, but that sounds very confusing to me. Uh, but of course, I stopped understanding what Jesus was doing a few verses ago. And now I'm at a complete loss. Why would he say that? I am glad. I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Maybe the strain of the ministry is really weighing down on him that he would respond like that. Maybe it's got to him the fact that there are people who want him dead. <laughs> they get that bullseye painted on them. Maybe it's becoming overwhelming. Maybe he's just overtired. Why would he speak like that? Because this does not sound like the Jesus that I thought would speak. I mean, isn't he supposed to be full of compassion? But he says, for your sake, I am glad I was not there. So that you may believe. But let us go to him. It says, uh, then Thomas called Didymus. Oh, by the way, I, when I read that, I kind of chuckle. I was saying, Thomas, who's called Didymus. I would have dropped the Didymus and just stuck with Thomas right? I don't know where that name came from. But anyway, let's go, um, let's pick up, my, where are we right here? And, uh, for 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Jesus didn't just miss the visiting hours, he missed the complete funeral. He didn't even cut it close. It's not like he missed his flight, it's not like he missed the bus. It's not like all the train tickets were sold out. He could have walked to this place. But he stayed where he was, and he let Lazarus die when you think he should have been there comforting the family. Hmm. God, I, I, I don't get you. You did it again. You've left me totally confused. Everything that this family had hoped for was gone. Their hopes were dashed. Their dreams were dead. Their dreams weren't delayed, no. Their dream was dead. I don't know where you are in the point of your life. Maybe you feel as though your hopes have been dashed, that your dreams are dead. I don't mean that, oh, my hopes have been dashed because I lost a little bit of money on my investments. I don't mean like, oh, my hopes have been dashed because my wife won't let me buy my custom-made golf clubs. I don't mean, oh, my dreams have been dashed because mom and dad aren't going to buy that new car that I wanted. No, I, for these people, their dreams And I know, because I've heard some of your stories, I know that some of you are really, really struggling. Some of you feel as though you are being dragged right through hell. And you wonder, where's God? Some of you are dealing with God could have, God should have, if only God had of, I'd you fill in the blank. I wouldn't be so depressed. I wouldn't be so uh, struggling financially. I, I wouldn't be in a loveless relationship. I, I wouldn't have a dead-end job. I wouldn't be behind in my mortgage payments. I wouldn't have been, 
My, my husband wouldn't have left me with the kids. If God had just showed up and done something, my child wouldn't be addicted to drugs and alcohol. God, if you had only been there. And like, where were you? Where are you? When I need you. Let's go down to verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, five days ago we could have really used you if you had just shown up then. But I know that even now, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. You know, even now, God can step into your situation. Even now, God is in control. Even now, God can bring you peace that you never thought possible. Even now, God can raise the dead things in your life. Let's continue reading. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know, I know he'll rise again, Lord. Like, I I know all that stuff. He'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? Martha, do you believe this? See, Jesus is saying, it's not that I can resurrect people. He says, I am the resurrection. See, you can place your faith in him, not because of what he can do for you, but because of who he is. You can put your faith in him because he is holy. You can put your faith in him because he is just, even when you don't think he is. You can put your faith in him because he's wise. You can put your faith in him because he's faithful even though you don't think he is at times. You can put your faith in him because he is all-powerful even though at times you wonder. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whatever you're going through, Jesus, I'm above that. And a couple of chapters later in the book of John, he's actually going to raise himself from the dead. The stone will be rolled away and he himself will walk out. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power, resurrection power, that called Lazarus right from the grave. And it's the same power that calls out to us today. It's real, it's here then it is available for us today. We don't need to wait for it for a couple days or a couple months. We don't have to try to clean up our act to experience God's changing power in our life. Notice when Jesus asked Mary, do you believe? Jesus did not say, Mary or Martha, do you understand what I'm doing? He doesn't say, Martha, are, are you okay? with all that is happening around you? He simply asked, do you believe Martha? And she says, I do. 
Then Jesus says, take me to the place where he is buried. Let's pick that up. In verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And it says, Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus cries. He weeps. I don't think he's weeping over Lazarus because Lazarus is going to be raised in just a few minutes. I, th- I think Jesus is weeping over the broken, sinful state of death and destruction, the brokenness of his creation. I think he's weeping because he knows shortly he is going to be hanging on a cross for the broken world, and he weeps. Pick it up in verse 36. Then the Jews said, oh, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Even people that weren't connected with the family got, got that. I mean, they know what Jesus is capable of. They've seen, they've heard the stories, and couldn't he at least come and help this guy? Verse 38, Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He says, take away the stone. Oh, Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, oh my goodness, that would be such a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Martha says, Jesus, all all there is is death and destruction behind there. What lies behind that stone is no good. In fact, by now, the stench would be awful if we move that stone. And sometimes I think to myself, how many of us are like Martha, right? We don't want to expose any of that smelly, some of those smelly issues in our life. And I think we sometimes miss out because we're not willing to move the stone. We don't roll the stone away because what's behind there stinks. And if people really knew that I don't have it all together, what will people think? No, 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 keep that stone right where it is. It says in the text here that Jesus, with a loud voice, says, Lazarus, come forth. He doesn't say it loud so Lazarus can hear him. He says it loud so the people could hear him. He says, come forth, you smelly, decaying, rotten, (laughs) broken, bruised man. And the same voice that calls out to Lazarus is the same voice that calls us today. Listen, he knows your situation. He knows the areas in your life that stink. He knows all that dirty laundry that we so desperately want to hide. He isn't surprised by any of it. He knows all about our dead dreams and our dashed hopes, all of our disappointments. 
He knows that some of you have laid your faith right in the tomb. He knows all about our sin and our disillusionments. You may find yourself here this morning. Saying, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want anybody to know that about me. And so we pretend as though God doesn't know. I notice when he comes forth in the text there, it says that Lazarus actually <laughs> walked out. Now, can you just imagine, just imagine you being there when this man who looks like a mummy's all wrapped, comes out. Like, I'm picturing everybody going. And Jesus says, go, unwrap him. And everyone's like. People, people, go unwrap him. What is amazing when you read this story, it says that many people believe Jesus after the resurrection of Lazarus. That shocks me. Why doesn't everybody believe that Jesus is who he is? A dead man just walked out of the grave. It says many. What? I'm shocked at that, that everyone doesn't say, whoa, he really is who he is, who he says that he is. For Mary... And Martha, it seemed as that that Jesus was four days late. It, 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 it seemed for Mary and Martha, if, if Jesus had just arrived a week ago, if Jesus had just arrived five days ago, if Jesus had just arrived four and a half days ago, we wouldn't be in this situation. God, you're late. You're late. I went running for you. You weren't there. And now it's too late. I'm going to actually call the band to come up and begin to play for us. And as I do, I just want to talk to you for a few minutes. I understand. I completely understand when we wonder if God actually has forgotten us. Like, I get it. I really do. Life does have its disappointments. And there's some hurt along the way. My goodness, there's some painful situation. But I want to tell you, there is a bigger story going on that you and I cannot see. And God is actually at work for, listen to this, your good and his glory. This morning, I want to invite you to lay aside those doubts that you have about God's love for you. God loves you. No matter what the circumstance seemed to point to, God loves you. No matter that the circumstances seem to point to another conclusion, 
God loves you. No, no, God really, really loves you. And he has not forgotten you. 